Amen. Thank you, Winter. Great song, great thought, great job. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 4. Isaiah chapter 4. Appreciate Brother Joe filling in for me last week. We were in the panhandle of Florida for a, for a week. And uh, he said, what'd you do? Well, I sat in the shade and read and enjoyed reading about men of faith in the Civil War. Enjoyed reading about great men of faith in the pulpits in American history. I enjoyed reading uh, some creation science stuff because I'm a geek. And uh, I was enjoying Bill Riley's book, Killing the Witches. And uh, it's a secular perspective on what happened in Salem. And I enjoyed that too. And uh, unusually enough for me, I got eight or nine hours of sleep every night. So I'm kind of wound up. And uh, it's about two weeks of sleep in one week and uh, enjoyed spending time with my wife and family too. And uh, I'm thankful for the people God has raised up here and uh, it's his church. And uh, I'm just thankful to be back, thankful for you, thankful uh, for everything. Two weeks ago when I spoke last, we started a lengthy new series on great texts from three great books in the Bible, and though probably many of you have read or will read the Gospel of John, very few of you will read the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah. They're, they're a lot tougher to read than the book of John, and I wanted to uh, have everyone to get a taste of those great books, and because I don't want us to get bogged down as we go through this lengthy series, uh, I'm going to be jumping back and forth, at least Lord willing, jumping back and forth between some mountaintops in those three great books. Two weeks ago when I started this series, we talked about going from heartless religion to forgiveness. And we saw how people in Isaiah's day were going through the motions of the religion that God had established through Moses on Sinai, uh, but they were doing it without heart. And then when they walked away from the temple, they were living as if, uh, they had not just met with God in the temple, and God said he hated what they were doing. Uh, we also saw how God invited them to repent and offered them, to for, for, offered them forgiveness and redemption, and he offered to make their scarlet sins as white as snow, and we in concluded challenging one another to assemble with heart instead of just out of habit. And we encouraged one another as followers of Jesus to live more like him when we walk away from here instead of living like this world who does not know the Lord. I hope you understand this morning that everything God chose to inspire and preserve in his words is important. Every word matters. And though all the Bible is there on purpose, there are mountain peaks of truth that rise above the others. Mountains in the scripture where the truth is especially clear, especially important, and especially applicable to you and I living today about 1,900 years after the Apostle John laid down his quill and about 2,700 years after Isaiah the prophet. Among other things, the book of Isaiah has some of the clearest and most powerful prophecies of the coming Messiah. I'm told in the Old Testament there are over 300 prophecies that refer to the first coming of Jesus as Messiah. And in contrast to that, there are zero prophecies of the coming of Muhammad or Confucius or Gautama Buddha because there was no prophecy of them coming. 
They're imposters. Because all 300 prophecies of the coming Messiah were fulfilled literally, as well as hundreds of others of Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled literally, not spiritually. We expect all the prophecies that remain unfulfilled today to be fulfilled literally in the future. And it would be impossible to give you any kind of a taste of the book of Isaiah and not speak about the Messiah's coming kingdom. Now, part of me hesitates to preach a message like this on a Sunday morning. Quite frankly, it's more of a Sunday night type of message where I typically speak about things in more detail and things that are more difficult. But I do want to be true to the text and to the book that the Lord has stirred my heart to give you a taste of. And though I may lose a few of you uh, teaching on the text itself, I do believe God helping me that the application of that text will be helpful and easy to understand for anyone who wants to understand. Though prophecies of a kingdom with the Messiah reigning over the earth and the nation of Israel being the head of the nations and Jerusalem as a future focus of the world can be found in several of the books of the prophets, the book of Isaiah has several prophecies of the Messiah's future kingdom that are especially clear. Now some people, and maybe some here this morning, you mistakenly think that the only good thing in the future is heaven for people after they die. Part of the good news of the Bible is that there's a future time on earth that's coming when things here will finally be better. Man is incapable of bringing peace or truth to this planet. Check any account of history and you will find that the fallen nature of man has always corrupted every government and every society in history. At times when technology was not what it is today, the corruption of man's heart was expressed with daggers and swords. Today, though we think we are so much more sophisticated, the corruption of man's heart is instead cyber attacks and internet bullying and all the sorts of things that happen with technology today that simply just show that man's heart is not any better than it ever was. If there's any hope for mankind, God must intervene in the affairs of man in the future just like he has in the past. And I have good news for those of you who hope for something better than what we see around us today. God has a future kingdom in store. If you're able to stand this morning, if you'd stand please in honor of God's word, you should be in Isaiah chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one near you. It's got a hard black cover. We'll be on page 517, Isaiah chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, In that day, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We'll eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. And in that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. And it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion and he that remaineth in Jerusalem shall be called holy, even every one that is written among the living in Jerusalem. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, and it shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof, by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. 
And the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For upon all the glory shall be a defense. There shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat and for a place of refuge and for a covert from storm and from rain. Thank you. You might be seated. It's no surprise for those who are unsaved and believers who are biblically ignorant to look around in the light of the current unrest everywhere in our society and in the world to tremble. But those of us who are saved and those of us who have some knowledge of the Bible understand that though we don't know exactly what is going to happen here tomorrow, we do know what's going to happen in God's tomorrow. And knowing what's going to happen in God's tomorrow gives us peace in this time of unrest. I don't know what's going to happen in the Middle East with Israel and Hamas and their neighbors. I hope Israel bears the sword against every evildoer from the October 7th massacre. I don't know if Hezbollah in the north will get involved in Lebanon. I don't know if Syria, Iran, Russia, or other Arab nations are getting involved. I don't know if China's going to attack Taiwan because of the smoke screen going on in the Middle East. I don't know. I do know this. There is no plausible explanation for the worldwide hatred of the Jewish people other than a spiritual one. I mean, imagine a people group of any sort to whom all these atrocities and to whom all these protests and unreasonable statements are made. Imagine the world being basically silent toward anyone else. There is no explanation other than a spiritual one. I also know that in God's tomorrow that there will be a last day alliance between Russia and and Iran, because Ezekiel predicts that Magog and uh, Persia will unite in their (laughs) hatred toward Israel. I do know that's going to happen. I I do know sometime Turkey's going to be involved. I do know sometime China's going to be involved. I I do know in God's tomorrow, God has predicted that there has to be some kind of a significant conflict take place for the Antichrist to step forward and make a peace covenant where the conflict was significant enough that there would be concessions that would allow Israel to rebuild her temple. I do know those things. I know that in the end time focus of the Bible that the focus is the Middle East rather than the deterioration of America. And people you read, or if it is in your own mind that you look around at what's going on in America and say, well, wow, it must be the end times. You have your eyes in the wrong place. You don't know whether you and I are experiencing the destruction and deterioration of America's culture or whether it's end time stuff. You don't know. And neither does anybody else and neither do I. I do know That in light of what's happened in the last 70 years, and especially the last 20 or 25, that believers ought to be ready for Christ to return in the clouds. Because at that moment, he will change our vile body to make it like unto his body in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And this morning, I don't know what our tomorrow holds. I trust in the living Savior with his tomorrow. Uh, This morning, I don't know where all this stuff is going to do. 
where, where it's going to go. I just do know this. God has a sure future for this world. Isaiah chapter 4 is the shortest chapter in the book of Isaiah. It is not the shortest chapter in the Bible. The shortest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 117. It has only two verses. In fact, Isaiah chapter 4, though if you're not very familiar with biblical terminology, what we read, by and large, is just going to be a lot of gobbledygook to you. But if we were studying more diligently the book of Isaiah, rather than just picking out mountain places, what peaks, we would find that Isaiah is actually part of a much longer prophecy that began back in chapter 2, speaking about the day of the Lord. Go back just a couple pages to Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 12. In Isaiah 2, 12, it says, For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty, and upon everyone that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12 is the first time the phrase, the day of the Lord, appears in the Bible. It's a phrase used by seven other prophets in addition to the prophet Isaiah. The phrase, the day of the Lord, occurs 25 times in the Bible and is referred to many, many, many other times by that day, just like it is in our text. The prophecy began back in Isaiah chapter 2, speaking about the day of the Lord, and that's why in chapter 4 we read in verse 1, in that day, seven women, blah, blah, blah. That's why we read in Isaiah chapter 4 and verse 2, in that day shall the branch of the Lord, blah, blah, blah. See, the day of the Lord is not a 24-hour day, so it is never numbered like the days are in the Genesis account of the seven 24-hour creation week. But just like the Jewish day began in the darkness of sunset and ends in the light of the evening of the next day, the day of the Lord is a period of time that begins in the darkness of the coming great tribulation and ends in the light of Christ's kingdom. And so because of that, the day of the Lord at times is spoken of as being dark and scary, and other times, like in our text, it is a time of blessing and light. The day of the Lord, again, is the time period that begins in the darkness of great tribulation and ends in the light of Christ's kingdom. That great tribulation, that future seven-day period is also called by Jeremiah in chapter 30, verse 7, the time of Jacob's trouble. Before that future great tribulation, there will be a rapture of true believers to meet Christ in the air when he returns for us. During that future great tribulation, the Antichrist will reign over a union of nations and sign a peace covenant with the nation of Israel. During that future great tribulation, there will be unprecedented judgments upon mankind and the earth, as well as unprecedented persecution of unconverted Jews and believers in Jesus. As that future great tribulation nears completion, there will be great wars where hundreds of millions of people will die. That future great tribulation will end when Jesus Christ returns in power and glory above the Megiddo Valley to speak and melt the armies of the Antichrist and beast there in what is called by many the Battle of Armageddon. At that moment, the feet of Jesus Christ, after 
coming down in the air above Megiddo will touch in the Mount of Olives and will cleave that mountain into a great valley going east and west. And at that same time, the angels of the Lord will gather all those who have not believed and it will cast them into hell, they will. And at that same time, another group of the angels of the Lord will grab, grab, get all those on the globe who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and bring them together to send them into the kingdom. And it is that that future moment, that moment when the angels have taken all the unbelievers and cast them into hell, when the angels have taken all those who believed after the rapture of the church and survived everything in the great tribulation, it is at that moment that our text in Isaiah 4 begins. The wars that will ravage earth and the persecution of the Jews in the great tribulation will generate, will devastate the first generation of men. Notice in verse 1, and in that day seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, we'll eat of our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. See, those who died in faith and those who were raptured will be in glorified bodies. They will neither marry nor will be given in marriage. This is referring to believers who survived the Great Tribulation will be among the initial people to repopulate the earth in Christ's kingdom. And there will be, because of the wars, an absence of men. The Bible very clearly teaches one man for one woman for life. And though some prominent men of faith in the Bible did take more than one wife, you'll never find an example of where that worked out good for them in their home. One of the things that's interesting to uh, me about this particular text is you can imagine all the hard feelings in the homes at that time. The other thing that's interesting to me about this text is this has nothing to do with the lust of a man for more than his one wife. It has everything to do with the women saying, listen, I want to have a family. And I'm willing to put up with all the conflict in the home so that that can happen. And by the way, you watch all that business with all those Mormon people with more sister wives and all that stuff, I say, Pfft. Listen, you, you can talk on television on how happy they are together and all that. So that is a lie. I mean, man, that is not only a den of iniquity, it is a den of conflict and hard feelings. Listen, I have enough trouble managing one wife. And the one I have is fairly easy to manage. You see, not only... Is that the way it begins? The Lord Jesus will reign on earth in a beautiful and glorious manner, and the earth will return to its fruitfulness. Verse 2, And in that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. By the way, the branch is the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn up a few pages to chapter 11. I said this is more like a Sunday night message. You'll be all right. And Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1 says, There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. Jesse's David's dad. And a branch, capital B, shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. 
and shall make him of a quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity the meek of the earth. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. And we're not talking about it today, but you may not have thought about Christ ruling in that manner, but that's how he's going to rule. For this morning, the point is simply that the branch is the seed of David that God promised would reign. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 2 of Isaiah 4 in our text, that's the branch there that will be beautiful and glorious. Probably actually has a double meaning referring to Israel, but that's another subject. Since uh, the fall of man, the earth has been cursed. The earth has not been as fruitful as it once was, but in that day, the fruitfulness under the reign of Jesus Christ, it will return and it will be excellent and comely. Notice those left in mortal bodies will live holy lives in Christ's kingdom. They will be made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ and they will live in a holy manner, verses 3 and 4. And it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion. Left from what? Left from the great tribulation. He that remaineth in Jerusalem shall be called holy. Even every one that is written among the living in Jerusalem, Christ's kingdom begins with all believers. Verse 4, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. Uh, listen, believers will live holy lives in that day, and it will be enforced by Jesus Christ the King. Uh, if you're a believer here today, we're supposed to now be living a holy life. Uh, our God is holy. Both the Old and New Testament says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. But in that day, uh, holiness is going to be enforced. Notice next the manifestation of God's presence. That was once only on the Jewish tabernacle, will then be on all the houses in Jerusalem. Verses 5 and 6. And the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and a shining of flaming fire by night. For upon all the glory shall be a defense. There shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat and for a place of refuge and for a covert from storm and from rain you're familiar with the Bible, you understand that when God delivered Israel from Egyptian slavery, when he led them out to the promised land, he led them during the day by a pillar of cloud and by night by a pillar of fire. And when they were not moving, that pillar would rest over the top of the Jewish tabernacle. And then for the next 40 years, God led them in the wilderness in that manner. When, the when that column of cloud or fire moved, they moved. When it stopped, they would build the tabernacle underneath it, and that's where they stayed. And when they went in the promised land, that went away. That cloud, the presence of God. But in Christ's kingdom, not simply just over the temple, but over every dwelling place in and around Jerusalem, that cloud will really appear. The presence of God. There will finally be a refuge, safety, a covert, cover for Israel and all those who believe to start raising their families and pro promote truth all over the new kingdom. What a day. 
What a day of light for those who survived Antichrist's cruel reign and the treacherous mark of the beast and the plagues of Revelation. What a day for those of us who believe who at that time will be in glorified bodies and if we suffered for Christ while we live, we will reign with Him. What a day. And what I'd like to do this morning is just make some observations and applications that are linked to the coming kingdom and the kind of kingdom it will be. Here's number one. The peace and presence of God always follow cleansing. They do not proceed it. The peace and presence of God always follow cleansing. They do not proceed it. Notice in verses 4 and 5. And when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment, by the spirit of burning. Notice the result of the cleansing. The Lord will create upon every dwelling place in Mount Zion, upon her assemblies, a cloud and a smoke by day, and shining and a flaming fire by night. For upon all the glory shall be a defense. Listen. There, there will be no kingdom peace or glory of God upon the houses of Jerusalem until God has washed away Zion's filth. Listen, there's a day coming when the Jews will look upon him whom they pierced and will, as a group, for everyone who has survived that time, look to him as Messiah and Son of God. That won't happen until those seven years close. Listen, Rest assured that once their sins are cleansed and Christ returns in power with the spirit of judgment and burning, the presence of God will rest upon Jerusalem and the houses in a special way. Notice the interesting contrast to that piece. Uh, go to Isaiah 57. So why are we stand in Isaiah? That's what we're doing. I, I, I would to God that every child of God read the entire Bible every year. I would to God that was the case. And if that's not the case, I would to God that every child of God read the New Testament <laughs> every year. I, I, I really wish, but I, I get it that that's not real likely. But I do want us to get a flavor of this great book. Notice in contrast to the peace that follows cleansing, in Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 19, God says, I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to him that is far off and to him that is near saith the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Did you hear that? No peace to the wicked. Those who turn to God can find peace. But there is no peace for the wicked in this life or the next. Listen, today, people turn to God by turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the source of every believer's peace from God. It was Jesus that said to his disciples, Peace I leave with you, my peace give I unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Listen, God said to the wicked, in contrast to that, you have no potential for peace. You will not, if you're here this morning or within the sound of my voice online and mark it down for everybody in the circle of your life, if they're living a wicked life, if they're specifically doing things God said don't do and refusing to do the things God said do these, understand there will be no peace in this life for them or in the next life. Most Americans are looking for peace in their heart. 
Few find it because they're looking in the wrong places. There's no peace in human government, and I don't care which party's in control. There's no peace in a bottle. There's no peace in smoking pot. Listen, this is just what our state needs. More people who are not in their right mind. I have yet to meet a pot smoker who is a clear thinker. Amen. So, well, I think more clearly when I'm high. No, you don't. You're deceived. There's no peace climbing up the social ladder. There's no peace in becoming rich. Peace is the gift of God through Jesus Christ. That's why the New Testament says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. If you are a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and you alone have the potential to have peace in any and every situation in life because it is the Spirit of God that produces true peace. Say, Brother Wally, I'm a believer and I have no peace. Well, then you're grieving God's Spirit. Listen, uh, I grew up on a farm in Michigan. Uh, right now, I think they have about 1,000 apple trees there and uh, maybe two or 300 peach trees. Listen, you put an apple tree in good ground, you give it the right amount of sunlight, you give it the right amount of water, and it produces apples because that's what an apple tree does when it's in the right environment. You put the Holy Spirit in a human being and you do not quench him and you do not vex him and you do not uh, do despite under the spirit of grace that was given unto you and he naturally produces his peace in your life unless you grieve him. If you're not saved, why wouldn't you humble yourself? Turn to the Lord Jesus for salvation. He's the only one with peace. You can change relationships. You can change jobs. You can change your circle of friends. You can change your economic status. You can change your weight. You can change your fitness. You can change all kinds of things. But listen, if you don't change having Christ in your heart, you will have no peace. And if you're here and you're a believer, you're saved, but you don't have peace, have you ever considered that maybe you need to repent? You realize most of the problem in America has nothing to do with the wickedness at Disney. It has nothing to do with the wickedness in Washington. It has everything to do with the complacency of those who say they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. God said, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will hear their land. Listen, God would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah and it was way more wicked than America if there would have been just 10 righteous people in that city. But there was not 10 righteous people and so Sodom was judged. America's problem is never them. America's problem is us. And if you don't have peace, it's not God's fault. Are you looking for peace in the wrong place or with the wrong person? Why are you surprised that you live your own way and don't have God's peace? God's peace comes from God's way. I would to God that everyone within the sound of my voice 
who didn't have Christ in their life. That you'd quit playing. There's people, you come here every week, and you know good and well, Christ isn't in your life. I would to God that you would come to Jesus. So not just you could die and go to heaven, so that you could live with peace here and now. I would to God every true believer that if you're living without the peace of God, I, 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 listen, I can't give you peace. I am not the source of peace. I, I would to God that you would come to Christ and draw nigh to him and have his peace. But it isn't just that peace and the presence of God always follow cleansing from God instead of preceding it. Secondly, go in your Bible to Psalm 20, 76. Psalm 76. Here's number two. Fight the feeling that everything is hopeless and hopelessly spinning out of control. Winter sang about it today. I actually think, and you might not like this, but I think if you listen to too much talk radio, it causes you to be hopeless. I do listen to some of it, but i got to turn a lot of it off. I can only take so much. Ca causes me to see all the bad and not the good. Fight the feeling of that everything is hopeless or hopelessly spinning out of control. If this isn't highlighted in your Bible, this is just a great truth that you and I can only see by faith. But in Psalm 76.10, notice what God says here. He says, Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee, and the remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. Do you see what he says? Even man in his anger will end up praising God. And if what man does in his anger will not end to the praise of God, God restrains that anger. The branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious and the earth's fruit will be excellent one day despite Hamas and Hezbollah and evil men and governments of any sort. There will be holiness under the Lord in Jerusalem among mortal man one day, despite bungling administrations from every party in our country. Climate change activists 50 years ago prophesied global cooling. Climate change activists today are grieved that in the last 100 years, our planet has allegedly gone up three degrees panicking every student. I like nature shows, and I just get so sick. Thought, well, but if it weren't for global warming, these things would be dying out. And listen, man, the planet's been warming since the end of the last ice age. Duh. I mean, the glaciers came all the way down into Ohio. I'm glad the planet is warming. In fact, I just spent a week in a warm place on purpose. But most of our planet and most of America, most of America, and especially young people, you're all panicked and you think the future is hopeless. Oh no, the globe is going to die and it's going to be a Mad Max world. Well, that's probably way below any of you. Nuclear holocaust, few people living around, everybody living by violence. Hey, listen, everything is not hopeless. God has always and will always restrain any evil or wrath a man that cannot be turned around for good and for his glory. 
I don't understand it, but God did not allow Hitler or the Nazis to go farther than he allowed them to go. Hamas and their recent cruelty didn't go farther than God allowed them to go. Listen, I don't understand God's boundaries. I do not understand God's plans. I don't see how the wrath of man is not restrained when you're uh, literally throwing infants in an oven like Hamas did or literally cutting up a pregnant woman and beheading the child from her, from her belly. I don't understand how you can have a family sitting around a table and cut up, gouge out the man's eye while he's alive in front of his wife and daughter, uh, cut off the wife's breast in front of the children. I don't understand how you can take the foot off of the girl and cut the fingers off the little of the boys and then kill them. I don't understand. I do know this. The wrath of man never goes farther than God allows it to be. And this place is not hopeless because of it. Let not your heart be troubled. (laughs) Believe and trust the God of the Bible. He has a great kingdom and peace for man's future. I don't know what tomorrow holds in this life. I don't know how the conflict in Israel is going to turn out beyond Israel surviving as a people, I am 100% certain of this. The situation is not hopeless. The story told about a man who'd gone to a neighborhood bar. He had too much to drink. Decided it would be good to walk home. And in his impaired conditions, he walked through a nearby cemetery. It was poorly lit, and in the darkness, he fell into an open grave. He spent a lot of time trying to climb out. Walls were too slippery. He tried again and again and again. Finally, in exhaustion, he just sat down in the dark corner waiting for morning. I mean, wouldn't you know it that after he was sitting there for a few moments, another man, he could hear him singing in the distance, coming from the same bar. Before he could warn him, that man, the second man, fell into the grave also, and he also began to claw and scratch to do everything he could to get out. But for him, too, it was too slippery. Well, the man just sat there and watched and waited till he was exhausted. And finally, when that man was fully exhausted, from the corner in the darkness, he says, you might as well give up. You'll never get out of here. But he did. See, it's only hopeless because we don't see the whole picture. The will of God will be done on earth one day, even as it is in heaven. And know that there is always hope in Christ. And that God will never allow evil to do anything that he cannot and will not ultimately turn around for good. Have you, caught, have you allowed yourself to let the news and everything going on to cause you to lose hope? I've heard people say dumb things. Well, if I was born to have, if I was a young couple, I wouldn't have children. Shut up, sir. Shut up, sir. If you say that stuff, please, don't say that stuff. Hey, listen. God chose us for today. And there is always hope in God. God has a better tomorrow, and it will not be brought to pass by man. Hope in God, who will not let the wrath of man or devil change the future 
he has planned for his people, for the nation of Israel, or for this planet. But it's not just that things are not hopeless because God is in control and he has a great kingdom and plan for the future. Lastly, go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Now last night, after Judas left to the 11 closest apostles, Jesus spoke these words. John chapter 14, verse 1, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Whither you go, and whither I go, you know, the way you know. And Thomas, who was unfairly known as the apostle of doubt, asked one of the most penetrating questions that brings about one of the greatest answers in the Bible. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Here's the last thing, number three. Know that Jesus Christ is coming again just like he said he would. Be sure when God promised Israel a land of their own, God will give them a land of their own. Be sure when God promised a coming kingdom with safety for his people and a fruitful earth, God will cause it to happen. It is impossible for man to bring about such a kingdom, but such a kingdom is not impossible for our great God. And be sure that when Jesus promised that if he would go away, he would come again, know for sure it will happen. You know, I would to God that we would allow the significance of the events of our day to sink into our heart. I believe if Christian people would allow what we see to go around us to cause us to be motivated instead of just complain about the darkness, I think it would change everything. I think by and large, Christianity bemoans the darkness and does little to be light in their circle. One of the ways we're light is to live as if we're watching for Christ. Jesus himself said, he is the only way to the Father. And his return is the blessed hope for every believer because he will come back just like he promised. Are you looking for him because of his promise to come back? Or are you focused instead on the uncertain events of our time? Listen, it is a troubled time. I don't think it's more troubled than the days of the revolution in America, but it's troubled. I don't think it's more troubled than the world when the world entered World War I. I don't think it's more troubled today than when the world in America was in World War II. I think we lack historical perspective. But that doesn't mean it's not a troublous time. But I'm sorry, I'm not looking to Benjamin Netanyahu clearing out the Gaza Strip. I'm not looking to the Joe Biden administration and his military counselors 
to fix it all. I'm not trusting that Putin's not going to join in with Iran and the Ayatollah there and move Hezbollah to hold back. I'm not trusting in any of that stuff. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow here. I do know what's going to happen in God's tomorrow. Jesus promised he'd come back, and he will. Are you ready? I mean, think about it. The Bible describes his return and our change as the twinkling of an eye. I mean, imagine it. We're sitting here, and then there's going to be a bunch of piles of clothes and other people left sitting here. Are you ready? Are you living like this life is all that matters? Listen, there's never been a day like our day. I'm excited. I, I mean, Jesus could come back in the clouds today. You realize the world never up until the last few years would have been able to see the bodies of those defeated prophets. You realize until the last 20 years, there was not technology available to control the world's commerce through a mark or the number of someone's name. You realize that Israel coming back to their land and Russia and Iran being aligned against them. Do you, you realize that this is all stuff that was spoken of hundreds and thousands of years ago that would have been impossible to see at the time. It is an exciting time for you and I to be light. His kingdom's coming. Are you ready? You quietly stand.